Well, she was actually in the car lot the day before her wedding. She was excited to have saved up the finances and passed on a, on a pickup truck because they were jacking up the price on her, and she had cash, and she was ready to purchase. So she was standing in a Hyundai uh, facility, or sorry, a Hyundai car sales place, and looking at some, uh, this little car, it's a little Hyundai Accent that was going to be a uh, 100,000-mile, 10-year warranty. And uh, so she excitedly, she bought it, and calls her fiancé, starts talking about it, and the next day, we got married, and uh, I inherited this Hyundai Accent. Um, it has been uh, 16 and a half years with this Hyundai Accent. This, this wonderful car has been with me the entire time, almost like a symbol of our, uh, of our marriage. But what's interesting about this car is it is fully, uh, uh, this car is awesome, it's fully unloaded. I mean, it has nothing on it, right? It has, um, it has a tape deck that is broken. It has wind-up, wind-down mirror or windows. The mirrors, literally, you still got to use the little toggle, the little toggly stick on it. And uh, it, it's, uh, you don't even have automatic seats. It's, it's all about how good you are with your stomach crunch to make sure that seat is in its correct position. And, and so this car is an interesting car because she drove it at first for, you know, a good couple years, and then we needed a van. And at first, I didn't have a problem with a, a bright red, fingernail red, you know, poly, red nail polished car um, being driven around by my wife. It, the problem was when she took the van and I wound up with a red nail polished uh, car and driving all over town. And, and the problem was that, you know, I was the only man driving something like this, really, in all of Corona. And I know because I've noted all the other ones and they've disappeared from this point on. And so I'm still sitting in this red car now, driving this thing around. And the staff loves it. A few, a few months ago, we had tried to purchase another car, kind of wound up not working out, and, and so I wound up getting this car back, kind of fixed up, and the staff was like, oh, finally, because we always knew where you were. Before this, we couldn't find you. We didn't know when you were going to be here. What's even better is that you guys will hear when I leave, if you stick around after third service, because my car lets everybody know when it's been turned on, because you turn it, and it goes every single time. All morning, down the street, waking every neighbor up. It's like, it's hot. It's awful. And um, I'm stuck with this car. So um, it, God, has, God has deemed that this is the car that I have. And, you know, I could be happy. I could be happy. Hey, I've had 16 and a half years with no payments. This thing was paid off when we bought it. I could be happy. I have accountability when people know where I'm at because my car's in the parking lot. Uh, you know, I, I get it. But I see all your cars in the parking lot. I, I know what you drive, because I'm jealous, man. That's not fair. And to be honest, this was something that God was showing me in my heart, that every time I start that car, I'm, wee, 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 wee. I'm sitting there going, God, please kill this thing. But at the same time, it's like, I can't kill it. It's the only thing you got, so you stick with it. And, that's, and what happens for me is there's a sense of discontent. Don't try to solve my problem. I'm not using this illustration as that point. My point is to say that there is discontentment in so many things. In my heart at this season, it's circling around my car, unfortunately. And to be honest, I think it circles around a lot of our hearts for various reasons. Discontentment is this inability to be satisfied with what you have and be unsatisfied by what everybody else has. And you have a tendency to find ourselves, especially at Christmas time, with a lot of discontentment around. Haven't you noticed that? People are looking at things going like, I wish I had that. Oh, I want that. You're making your Christmas list. Your kids will open presents on Christmas morning, and they will be tearing them open with fury and joy. And when they finally get the last one, they're like looking at their brother who's still opening them going, what, I don't got another one? Right? 
They got the big, nice one, and they got 20 of them. The kid with the big, nice one goes like, I want five more like he got. And the kid with the little ones are going, I want the big one like he got. And so it's never a satisfaction. There's never contentment. It is all about what I want and how can I get it and when can I get it. And it kills, it destroys the joy that is in Christmas. Christmas oftentimes disappears behind the desire for more, the desire for things. And in fact, it's a, it's a situation that God warns us against. Jesus actually has a parable on, discern, on, on discontentment that he wants us to note and be aware of. And we're going to look at that. It's found here in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to grab a Bible, they're under the seat. You can open it up and find on page 825. If you brought your Bible, we'll go to Matthew 20. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And I'm going to have some fun with this just because it's Christmas time. And we'll, we'll, read, we'll tell Jesus' parable with just a little Christmas twist thrown in for fun. So please forgive me. Anyway, so here's what we're going to look at. It says, so Jesus begins, he's telling this story, and he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a, a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So here's how we're going to switch it. For the kingdom of heaven is like Santa, who went out early in the morning to hire elves for his workshop. You say, hire elves? Yeah, we turned him into a capitalist. Here we go. So anyway, after agreeing with the, labor, after agreeing with the elves for a day's wage, he sent them into his workshop, and going about on the third hour which is a three hours later, he, he saw standing idle in the marketplace some more elves. And he said to them, hey, you go into the workshop too. Whatever is right, I'll give it to you. And so he goes. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, three hours later, and the ninth hour, three hours even further after that, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, one hour before all work was going to end, he went out and found other elves standing around. He said, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said, well, because no Keebler elves came by to hire us, and uh, no, nobody hired us for the, the cobbler shop with the, with the shoes. So, and so he turned and said, you go in the workshop too. And when evening came, the own, the, Santa came out, the owner of the workshop, turned and said to his foreman, go get all the elves, lined up all the elves to pay them their wages, beginning with the last to the first, the ones who started last, and then he's going to move to the ones who move first. Now, when those who were hired first showed up, they thought they would receive more because he was paying the ones who came in at the 11th hour a whole day's wage. And so they thought, we're going to get more than a day's wage. And as it came around, each of them was also given just simply a day's wage. On receiving that day's wage, these ones grumbled at Santa and said, hey, these last worked only one hour. You've made, oh, I'm sorry, these last only worked one hour. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree for a day's wage with me? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last elf as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is interesting. It's the last line that's important. Because Jesus landing the plane as this, this owner of this vineyard is calling out these workers, and they're grumbling over. He says, listen, do you begrudge my generosity, my grace? Do you begrudge this thing that I've wanted to do for one person over another? In fact, what's interesting about the word begrudge, it's the word evil eye. Do you have an evil eye towards what I've given you or towards what I've given them? Do you have a, an eye that looks negatively at things? Are you, are you examining things with the evil eye? And that's an interesting terminology because, you know, 
It helps you understand what discontentment is. It is to look at something that doesn't seem quite right and to be overly fixated on it. I'll give you some examples here. For all you OCD people, this will be fun. How does that make you feel? Anybody fixated on the wrong thing here? I thought those lines were painted nicely. So uh, how about this one? Yeah, I got the brick. Just like, this is my, the next one's my favorite. Anybody want a Kit Kat? And this is definitely the right way to eat pizza. So, because there's no crust, you don't throw it away. You just got to get all the gooey goodness right there at the beginning. And my, the point in the, these illustrations is that some of you are those, this bothers you. Uh, those lines are supposed to all connect. They're not supposed to be out. And the point is that your eye is catching the, the thing that is supposedly wrong with it. That's throwing it off, and you overfixate on it. Some of you aren't even listening anymore because it's bothering you still from the from being what's in front of you. And, and the point is that that's what dis- this kind of discontentment is. I'm fixated on he got the the whole day's wage that I got that I got. No, no, I deserve something better. I deserve more. In fact, discontentment oftentimes will minimize what you receive and maximize what somebody else has. It'll turn into dessert. It will not dessert like food, but dessert, like I deserve that. It will turn oftentimes into just unthankfulness for what you have, and you'll be grumbling and miserable and complaining because the bottom line is your eyes are fixated wrongly in an evil way on what somebody else has. And these illustrations kind of help just simply release that, but I'll let it go just so you can focus. But the flaw is there. And it focuses in, and our culture breeds the evil eye. Have you noticed this? Guys, we live in a discontent culture, don't we? You open up your Instagram, you scroll through beautiful pictures, and you see happy families, and you think, why can't my family be like their happy family? You watch their awesome vacations, and you go, why can't I go on that awesome vacation like they went on that awesome vacation? You see a photo of their house, and you're like, that room's incredible. Why can't my room be more like that? And there is discontentment over and over and over that can be bred in our souls. I mean, that's what all commercials are aiming at. Look how happy I am with this thing. I want to be happy like that. Look, I got this special onion chopping thingy. And you're like, I want a special onion chopping thing like that. And the whole point of a commercial is to cause discontent in your soul. To cause you to long for something you don't have. That's what our politicians are all about. Let me show you what you don't have and what everybody else has and why you, want, you ought to have that. And let me make you greedy and upset and discontent with your life. So, and I will fix it for you, so vote for me. This is what it's all about. It's a game of discontentment. Our culture is built on discontentment. And it seeds into our lives, and it is not something we should take lightly. Jesus here very clearly, while he's explaining this last and first, says, guys, we don't want to begrudge. We don't want to look with greed, discontentment, you name it, on God's graces. What is God's graces? What are his gifts? Notice what James here has said. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of light. So if you've received a good gift, if you've received a perfect gift, it may have somebody else's name on it, but God's giving it to you. You got a good car that's not going, then God has graced you with something, okay? Do you, have a, do you have a family that you get to be with? Do you have children that you get to talk to? Do you have a, a spouse? Do you have a, a mom and a dad? Maybe you have the opportunity to have a roof over your head. Maybe you've got the opportunity to actually engage in work. Guys, these are good gifts given to you so that you can celebrate what God has. But the evil eye will look upon all these good gifts 
And we will end up with discontentment. And discontentment is dangerous because discontentment is the beginning of many different kinds of evils in our lives. Now, the, the authors of Scripture, the, the different writers are following Jesus' mark as, they, as Jesus kind of lines it up with money. So Paul, the apostle, will line it up with money as he's training his protege, Timothy. He's going to look at this young man. He's going to say, as a pastor, as you grow up, you need to be content. You need to learn contentment. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and if you want to go over there with me, uh, we're going to stick in this passage for a little bit so you can flip over. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to look at 9, and if you're working through it, go to the right. If you've hit Revelation, you've gone too far. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, beginning in verse 9, he says, but those who have a desire to be rich... Listen, young pastor, listen, young man who's training other Christians. Those who have the desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Let's pause right there. He begins and he says, hey, listen, it is dangerous to have a desire to be rich. Now, it's one thing to know that you can be and that we work hard and stuff like that and you'll make an income and, and you can save and do things. But there are people, and maybe some of you have been caught with this, with just this hunger to be rich. You'll do anything you can to make a buck, anything you can in order to get a little bit more, to have more. And you know what? This is a temptation. This is a test of your soul because it can lead to horrible things, can it? Think of the drug dealer. He's making tons of money. And it let it, then he doesn't care, but he wants that money. He's willing, to, some of these people are willing to sell their souls in a sense, do anything they can to become famous on a television screen. Some of these, some of us who maybe we're, we're running into the snare of losing time with our family, who are falling into the temptation to do more at work and you're losing your marriage because, hey, I want to have a little bit more money. These are senseless and harmful desires, it says. They plunge us into destruction. They cause us major problems. And the reason why is because this evil that is coming out so often is because we love the wrong thing. Now, now look at this. It goes on to say, for the love of money is, what? The root of all kinds of evil. We've all heard the money is the root of all evil, right? You heard that? That's completely wrong. That's not what it says. The Bible is actually saying the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not all evil. In fact, the love of money is one of the dangers because it's the danger of being discontent. Man, if I could just have a little bit more. Now, if you don't have a God in your life and you walk around on earth, that's pretty much all you got. If all there is is material, get more material, get more stuff because that's it. You don't got nothing spiritually to give you any confidence in life. You got nothing to satisfy you beyond this world. You've got this world and that's it. But here, we understand, he's saying, look, the love of money is a danger. It's a root of all kinds of evil. How many different evils have been committed to be rich? Now, we don't have to think of just the love of money. Let's add some other things. The love of anything, something other than God, will lead to discontentment and it'll lead to evils. If you love sex more than you love God, man, how many evils have been created in that? How many problems have been placed upon our society because we want sex to be God? Because, man, if I could just be free and however I want to live and however I want to sleep with or whatever it is, if I could just get one more score, if I can hang out one more, if I can hook up one more time, you name it, people are being destroyed psychologically in colleges. There are entire families torn apart. There are families that don't even realize they're families in this world because of what's going on with sex. What does the love of fame do? How about the love of power? I mean, how many more politicians got to love power to cause us into more situations of war and, 
and horrible things that are going on in our world and over-governance, all these things to limit this because power is evil. How about love of self? How many people are out there being cocky and arrogant who are angry at you and offended that you don't agree with them? They're ready to attack you and shout at you. The love of self has created all kinds of evil. Just throw the internet on top and it goes, boom, gets real big. And here's the problem. Any love of something that should be God that you love, when you put something else there, you create an idol. And when that happens, all kinds of evils will begin to break out in your life. All kinds of evil will begin to break out in your society. All kinds of evil at work. All kinds of evil in your home. Because we are not called to worship these things. But when we do that, we become discontent. We become majorly unsatisfied. Now, the reason of that is because when you were dissatisfied with God, when we're dissatisfied with the one you're made to be satisfied in, you will have to find it somewhere else. You will seek it out somewhere. And so when you love something other than God, it's going to lead to your discontentment. So here's your warning sign. You guys ready to see if you're really discontent? You know you're discontent and you're becoming more discontent with the things that you have and the blessings that God has given you. You're going to have the evil eye to his graces if you think God is boring. If you're finding your time in the word of God and you're like, reading this one again? And you know how many times I've read this passage? Oh, that parable, I've heard that parable a thousand times. Funny, Santa, ha, ha, ha. If you're finding yourself in a situation where you're bored with prayer, where you're like, yeah, you know, I'm so tired of reaching out to people with Jesus, so over it. You're dangerously close, if not already full in on discontentment in other parts of your life. I mean, really, I've got a master's degree in 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 divinity. That means I can move the world with my cosmic mind. I'm just kidding. That's not what that means. I know why they call it that, but I've studied the Bible a lot. I've studied theology a lot. I I read tons of books every year on these subjects. I'm constantly examining it. And and to be honest, there are times I get bored. And when I start getting bored with the word of God, here's what I always hear from God. He says, oh, you're bored? You think you know this? Go do it. If you're not doing it, it doesn't matter what you know. If you're not engaging it, what does it matter? You've only got head knowledge. It's not engaging in your life. You're not engaged in the actual love of other people. So what? I know about the Trinity. What does that matter if I'm not engaged in living out a Trinitarian life? And so these, and you're like, what in the world does that look like? Other subject. But the point is very clear. We have to engage in our lives this word. We can't be content. Like, yeah, I got, I got that. I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. So satisfied. Really? I don't think so. If you're stuck spiritually, you'll explore simply. Think about it. If you're stuck spiritually, you'll start exploring sinfully because the human discontent and curiosity has to go somewhere. And here's the danger. When you start exploring sinfully, you start exploring for money, you start exploring for the sex, you start exploring for the other things. When that occurs and you start that exploration process, it will not end. It won't. You cannot satisfy this discontentment. It doesn't stop. As Solomon puts it, he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Here's why. And I know this is true. At least it's true for me. And this is the one place I've seen it. It comes with church attendance. You know, I've been here at Olive Branch since we were in the, you know, like the 450 people coming to church on a weekend and all this kind of stuff. And so it was, it was always fun. You'd get, to, you'd get your reports. You're like, how many people showed up and how's it going? I would always check the youth ministry. And then I became the senior pastor. And we're like, 
okay, we're moving up to 600. This is awesome. 600 people want to come to church here? That's so cool. And then it slowly moved to, oh, 750. And you're like, this is awesome, 750. And every single time, you kind of go, 750 for about two months. You're like, this is awesome. And then you're like, okay, when are we going to move forward? What's over the next hill? When are we going to get to eight? Now we're at 950. And I'm having to watch myself. And trust me, you're like, that's bad. Pastor, you shouldn't be counting people. No, no, the Bible talks about counting sheep. If there are 100 sheep, you got to know who they are. So if one's missing, you'll find them. You know, the Bible talks constantly about how many people were saved in Acts and stuff like that. In fact, God likes numbers enough that he needed an entire book after it. Numbers, right? So, all right. It's not wrong for me to count. It's wrong for my heart to care too much. It's wrong for my soul to be discontent and care so much about who's not here that I lose focus on who is. That we're here to train you guys. We're here to shape you guys. You're Olive Branch. You're the church. You are the people, the awesome people that do the ministry, that do the giving, that enable things. I'm just the head waiter. I'm the educator. I'm here to point some vision and direction. You guys are the ones on the front line. You guys are the ones that are caring for us to lose track because we're all worried about everybody who might come one day. We're losing track on those who are going to bring them. You are our focus. You are the ones we love and care about. You guys are an awesome, awesome church. The things you do blow me away every year, every year, every month, all the time. Thank you for being who you are. And I need to be content and satisfied in these kind of things because that discontentment is dangerous. It's dangerous for you. What are you discontented? Is it, is it just you don't have the next dollar? You're not at the next level at your workplace? Are your kids not at that next level of the sporting event? Have you not got that better marriage that you think you should have? Or you're just not parenting your kids at the level that you expect yourself to be at? What is it for you? Where is that discontentment taking hold of your soul and crushing the joy of what you have present? You're so fixated on what somebody else has or what you should have that it's minimized what you have. Do you have the evil eye about God's blessings? And that's the danger because this discontentment, it will destroy the spiritual life. When you love something else more than God, it will call you away. And so Timothy is taught again, hey, listen, those who desire to be rich, what do they do? They fall into that temptation. They fall into that snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. They plunge themselves into ruin and that love of money. And then he finishes it up with this. It is through this craving that some have wandered, through this craving, this discontented craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I mean, how many Christians began their journey singing on stages to wind up seeking fame and, and will give themselves up? In the music world, in the movie world, how many Christians have found themselves so busy doing things, let's just drop it down, that they are longing for work that you stopped coming to church? You're so busy on that freeway. You got up early, you ditched that quiet time, you know, you're losing your spiritual life just to get there in time. So you can make that next level, make that next move, make that next buck. How many of you are so exhausted from working so hard, you're putting yourself in front of a screen or being discipled by Hollywood more than Jesus? How many of us are just knocking out because we have, we're so exhausted, your prayer time is more of a snooze time? This is what happens when we love other things more than God. It will quickly dissolve your spiritual life. It's not hard. But discontentment for the things of God and for God's blessings, the things of this world, will indeed send you chasing after those things. And it will wear you out because you can never, ever fill them up. And it will dissolve your spiritual life. I'm content now that I've warned you about discontentment. Are we all okay? Okay? Because I, we need to fight for contentment. 
in a culture that is pervading you and feeding you discontentment, man, we need a strategy. What is this strategy that we're going to take on? First of all, I'm calling you guys to fight for contentment by being discontent in the right things. You're like, wait, what? That's an oxymoron, Greg. How does this work? You got to be, here's what I'm saying. You should be discontent in the right things and you need to be content in the right things. And so let's make sure those are in the right places. And so Timothy, again, earlier, look back up to verse six. It says this, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, or as it says here, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Either way, you have two pieces in this equation. You have godliness and contentment. Well, what's contentment? He goes on. He says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And what he's challenging you in is to say, Be content in what you got. Be content in what you have right now. Trust that God has given you the blessings that you need, the graces that you need right now, and sit down and be content for a minute. But godliness plus contentment is great gain. What in the world is godliness? At Olive Branch, we sum up godliness in this term, to love Christ, to live for Christ, and to share Christ. You want to kind of sum up godliness, sum up what it means to be a disciple, to live for God, that's what it means. Man, we should be loving Christ, we should be living for him, and we should be sharing him wherever we go, wherever you find yourself, at your work, overseas, wherever we go. And so godliness, plus a contentment and the blessings that God gives you, will expand. So I like to think of godliness as a lack of contentment in your relationship with God. And that's where it begins. You should be discontent in your relationship with him. What do I mean by that? Are you satisfied with your relationship with Jesus? Are you getting bored? I think we shouldn't be. I mean, I think there's so much more to learn, so much more to engage in, so much more to find out. I mean, some of us, we really can't get to that place, and you can't, but you shouldn't to where you're like, you know what? You know, I talked to God for an hour every single day since I was a Christian, began to be a Christian at age 18. You know, God, I think I know you now. I'm good to go. Now, try that out with your spouse and see how that works. It ain't going to work. Try that with your children. Any relationship. No, relationships grow. Relationships are dynamic. You continue to learn about them. The same thing goes with God. And you shouldn't stop getting to know him. He's continuing to engage you and teach you and talk to you. It's a relationship with a true person, not just an idea. Now, add in one more fact. I love this. Years ago, there was this, um, I don't remember what they were selling, but I remember the idea. There was this picture of a guy on this commercial, this guy clicking through a computer, and suddenly the screen shows up and says, blink, you've reached the end of the internet. And he walks out and he goes, I finished it. And that was like the whole commercial. And it's funny because you can't finish the internet. I mean, you shouldn't finish the internet, but you can't finish it either. It just keeps going. You could spend 365 days of your life, every single hour of every single day, all of your life on the internet, you won't end it. You're not going to get to every site. You're not going to get to everything. There's just not enough time. Now, if that's what can be true about the Internet's information, how much more for an infinite God? Your soul has been created for dissatisfaction, but it is satisfaction in knowing God because God is infinite, and you image him. You can't stop getting to know the wonders and the nuances of God. 
I mean, you should, there's a craving that has been put in every human soul for truth, in every human soul for beauty, in every human soul for knowledge. And God is infinite in his beauty, infinite in his knowledge. And as you dig into him, you find out more about him. You don't come to the end of him. It just opens up a new vista. There's a new cavern. There's a new crevice. There's a new thing. You start in prayer and you think you've got this down. He goes, now let's go over here. You are only in one valley of a vast entire landscape. And suddenly your craving to know him should grow. Your desire to go further should increase. It should never be satisfied. At the end, you should be like, I learned something new. He's like, now go do it. And as you engage it, you start to realize, I didn't really know what I was reading here. And now you go back and you go, whoa, this makes way more sense this time. I'm going to try praying for that miracle. I'm going to see if God will answer that. I'm going to actually step out, and, and this feels a little freaky, but you never realize how much of God we don't. No, because we're so easily satisfied with the wrong things. And I want to encourage you, be discontent in your chasing after God. Be discontent in your knowledge of him. And one way to put it is delight yourself in God. The psalmist said this, he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, what happens when you delight yourself in God, when you delight yourself in getting to know him and doing his things, he shapes your desires, Something changes within you. Suddenly you long for the things he longs for, and he goes, I can, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give you that. You start talking to him. You say, God, I really need the car to not just go, wee, 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 and I'll be better, right? And he goes, okay, I got somebody who can fix that. Hey, God, I really do need a little bit more income to deal with this situation, but I don't want to get lost in trying to run after the next level. I can handle that. And suddenly, in your seeking after God and your development of your relationship with him, he's willing to satisfy your earthly needs. And you don't look with an evil eye at his blessings. You look with gratitude. And so we delight ourselves, and this will never end. It just keeps going. You're built for eternity, and God is eternal, and you're linked to him. And this is why we feel like, oh, man, I'm, I'm still young in an old body, all this stuff. God has wired you to be satisfied in him not the things of earth. Now, there's some, a couple other things that we, should be, we shouldn't be satisfied in either. We need to be discontent about how many people know Jesus. Let's be honest. I mean, are you satisfied that, you know, yeah, heaven's got enough population. I think we're good to go. Hell can, hell can have some more people. We're fine. You put in those terms, I think suddenly we realize, wow, wait a minute. I'm a little too satisfied that somebody might be going to an eternal state of punishment. Uh, that, and I'm not satisfied with that. I don't think we should be sitting around satisfied at all. We should be discontent about 200,000 plus people surrounding us that haven't heard the gospel or received it yet. We should be engaged, asking questions. Don't brush me off. Engage the question. Think about the problem. I know you think you have an answer. You haven't answered it yet. Let's get to the pre You know, you got to drill in. We got to be in earnest to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ has come to earth to bear sin, to remove it away. We can't just go, oh, I'm sorry, you don't want to listen. Okay, I'm going to watch. No. Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied. Be discontented with this and engage. Paul put it this way. I wish I would go to hell that my, brother, my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters would go to heaven, would know Christ. I mean, that's the idea. That's the heartbeat. And that will help you engage. Second, it'll move you forward into this one where we should not be content. We should be discontent in the lack of good in the world. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not satisfied with the good that's in the world right now. I think it should grow. 
I think it should increase. I am not contented that millions of girls and boys are enslaved in sex slavery in California and around the world. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with the fact that, yes, we reduce some abortions, but still millions every year are killed. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay that people are sleeping on the streets who need mental health and help to get them right-minded and back in society with their families. I'm not okay with that. There needs to be good done. I'm not okay that children don't have the education maybe that they need because they can't get a good teacher. Man, you Christian teachers get in there. Be wholly dissatisfied that children don't have the education and educate. Firefighters, be wholly unsatisfied that there's not people out there who are going to help them off the street and you get to do this. That's your calling. Get out there and do it. Police officers, politicians, you name your job. If it's for a good, go with a holy dissatisfaction. You haven't done enough good yet. You'll go to work different. You'll go to work, not worry about what you can earn, what you can do. You'll go to work understanding, man, I'm doing good, and I want to see the good promoted. I want to see God's name and the good in this world grow because that's why I'm here. I'm not content. Oh, man, now you go to work with purpose. Now you live a life with meaning. Now you know a God who never stops working in your life, who is always with you. That is to be rightly, wholly discontent. And now we're ready. Now we're ready to have war against our earthly discontent. And so how do you do that? You fight for contentment by counting God's graces. You count them. You take them in. We already learned everything that's good and perfect that's been given to you is coming from God. It is his overwhelming generosity. And we will not look with an evil eye at the generosity of God. And so we need to look with thanks. We need to look with blessing. And so we learn from David. He says this, bless the Lord Oh, my soul. That is, praise your God. Celebrate him. Bless him. Thank him. All that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. That's old language, but it's like, don't forget what God's given you. Don't forget the benefits he's poured into you. Don't forget his graces and his generosity. List them. Write them out. Put them down. Remember them. Thank him for them. Praise him for them. This is why we come together to church. It's a whole group of people praising God for the same group of things. And so what does David celebrate? What does he praise God for? He forgives all your iniquity. If God has forgiven you of your sins, Jesus has removed your sins and placed them on, the, on him on the cross, and he's given you life through his resurrection, you should be saying amen right now. Amen. amen. He's forgiven your iniquity. What else did he do? He heals your diseases. If he's healed you from cancer, if you survive some kind of flu, some autoimmune disease, something that God is continuing to sustain you, in, you should be saying amen right now. If God has redeemed your life from the pit, from the pit of disease, whether it's a pit of poverty, whether it's a pit of absolute disgusting things like, man, I was a sex addict. Man, I was an alcoholic. Man, I was addicted to porn. Man, I was addicted to stuff. If it's an addiction, if he's lifted you from the pit, you should yell amen right now. If God has given you steadfast love, that means he's been with you in your danger. He's been through the situation with you in the loss of your spouse, in the loss of your loved one, your children, you name it. And his presence has been with you. You should be shouting amen because our God is with us, steadfast, loving you, giving you mercy so that your youth is renewed. If he gives you the good, guys, if you have a car right now, say amen. 
If you have something over your head called a house, say amen. If you have money in your pocket or a credit card that works, say amen. If you have the opportunity to go down the street to a market to buy your food today, say amen. If you have the chance to drive on a freeway that'll get you where you need to go, even if it's slow, say amen. If you have the opportunity to hug a family member, to celebrate through a visual opportunity on, on, online to keep up with your family, you should say amen. If you have the freedom to preach the gospel without problems in the United States, you should say amen. You need to count your blessings every day, all the time. Never stop. If you are going to stop looking with the evil eye at the things that other people have, we need to remember the blessings we have right now. We need to celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. And you need to celebrate not just on the things he gives you, but the greatest blessing of all that he's given you. And it's found here in Hebrews. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Oh, man. You're facing that financial difficulty right now. You're going, how can I be content? Because your God is with you. He will not forsake you. That's not just he's standing there by you. You may be praying and begging God, show yourself. I need you in this time. I've lost my loved one. I'm hurting. He's there. He may, you may not know it because you're hurting, but he's there because he will not forsake you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to walk away from you. He leans into you. He supports you. He comforts you. He put his spirit in you. He took his sin from you. He's not going to say, oh, you sinned? I hate your guts. Get away from me. He's going to say, come here. Stand up. We're going this way. He is calling you to himself. Your God will never, ever forsake you. He will never leave you. He will not abandon you. You are his children. And for that, no matter what your situation is, you can say amen. We have great gain when we have godliness and contentment. And so the final piece in our battle armor as we deal with discontentment is, you know what we do? We fight for contentment by celebrating God's grace. You say, didn't we just do that? No, 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 no. You celebrated the graces God gave to you. I'm talking about when God gives somebody else a, a beautiful thing. You know what the Bible tells you? He tells you, rejoice with those who rejoice. And when you see your friend receive that raise, when you see them get that nice car and you're sitting there in yours, whatever, you have the opportunity to go rejoice with them, to celebrate with them, to say, thank you, God, you've met them here, you've blessed them with this. Praise God they got that raise. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings they've received. When you do that, you fight discontentment in your soul and you turn everyone's blessings into opportunities for praise and you celebrate together. The second then is to weep with those who weep. Well, how is that a battle plan? Because when somebody can't have that child, when that grandkid has died, when that situation has come and that disease is riddling your friend's body and you're there to weep, you're able to say, I know I have blessings, but I'm here with you because I want to be your blessing. And you gather together and it defends their heart from discontentment where they can see that God is bringing them to an eternal realm, to a future place, to another place where they have a family, where God has not left them nor forsaken them and you stand ready to be the example of that very thing. And we defend one another from discontentment because we don't want to have discontentment. We don't want to have the evil eye towards the blessings that God has given us. Amen? Why go through Christmas like that? Why go through life like that? I'm a fairly discontented person. I have that, that gift of, of, of analysis, unfortunately. 
And so I know what's wrong in my own life. I know what's wrong in my wife. I know what's wrong with my kids. I know what's wrong with all of you right now. I mean, it's just not hard, right? And I've had to get away and practice this this week. I guarantee you, it lifts you up, it wakes you up, and it reminds you of the wonder of what it means to have Christ in your life, to have his blessings in your life. It is why people in the worst poverty situations in Africa beam with joy, because they have Jesus Christ. Guys, it's too easy to be discontent. It's time to live in satisfaction. You can drop off the stress. You can release the unforgiveness. You can walk into Christmas with a sense of contentment, and it will all be icing on the cake from here. Joy upon joy, grace upon grace, and you will enter this place ready to worship every week because of your great loving and giving God. Amen? So let's thank him for the blessings he's given us today. Would you bow your heads? I want to give you a minute just to do that, to say thank you to God for all that he's given to you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for bearing our sins on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead to give us the hope of heaven, a confidence of forgiveness. Father, thank you for giving us your spirit to be with us and near us. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this world. Thank you for the physics of the world. Thank you for the stardust you've made us out of. Thank you for the very planet we stand on for the ecology and the air that we breathe, for the, the ground we stand on. God, thank you for the, the roads that are built. Thank you for a government that protects our freedoms. God, thank you for the opportunities that we have to love one another. Thank you, God, for the financial what financial pieces we have. Thank you for just every piece that you've laid into our lives from our loved ones around us, from the opportunity of the holidays to be reminded of you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for being able to thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the music. God, thank you for you. Help us not to be content in our unknowing of you. Help us not become satisfied with who knows you. And help us press the good into this world and never be content that that we've done enough, that good can continue to grow so that you would be known. We praise you for all that you've given us, meaning, purpose, and all these things. Oh, we leave here today satisfied in you, satisfied in what you've given us. And we say thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.